Thanks for tuning in. It is uh, 10 o'clock, and we have somewhere, uh, Al Batts. I'm not sure where you're at these days, Al. You know, I'm not either, and I I managed to lose a pen that I had about 10 seconds ago. I'm not sure how it is that, but uh, yeah, here it is. It, it's got to be like a $200 pen, too, sure. I would think. It has advertising on it of a fine company. I, I am in uh, beautiful Chicago. Ah, out here for a few days. I, I come to Chicago quite a bit for work. I have never had uh, much fun driving into Chicago. I, and I know it's my fault. I should, uh, I don't know, I should just appreciate the ability to sit and enjoy nature. Uh, as there's, there's a number of road work, and of course there's, there's a lot of traffic. It's just, you know what the problem is, Gully? There's too many cars with Illinois license plates. There you I think go. That's a problem. If they just let us Minnesotans and Iowans and stuff drive in, it wouldn't be much problem at all. So it's uh, but uh, it's a beautiful day. Some people protesting something out in front of the hotel here and so there's always something going on. It's uh, a beautiful warm day. Sun's beating down like I'm sure it is in your neck of the woods there and uh, I before I came down here, I was birding and looking at flowers. I, boy, I like looking up, and then I look down. You know, it keeps the neck moving up and down <laughs> like one of those drinking birds. And I was looking at spiderwort. What a lovely flower. It's this beautiful blue color. And when I was a boy, I called them cow slobbers, which is a terrible thing to do. That's such a beautiful flower. But I called them cow slobbers because the flowers bloom early in the day, And then when the heat of the day arrives, they wilt into a jelly-like substance. It's like they're melting. And to me, they look like cow slobbers, so I call them cow slobbers. And then I learned that a lot of people call them cow slobbers, so I probably heard it from my dad or an uncle or somebody. And these striking flowers appear in small clusters with new buds opening each day. So each flower only flowers once. And it's spiderwort, but wort is W-O-R-T, and it comes from the Anglo-Saxon wort, W-Y-R-T, that means herb or root. And the spider name derives either from a belief that they cure spider bites or that the spidery shape of its stamens. Now, I'm guessing there was uh, something practiced by all our ancestors was called Doctrine of the Signatures. If they looked at a plant and looked like a liver, they figured, man, that is good for liver problems, or it looked like a heart. That's good for heart problems. So I'm guessing that it probably came from the shape of the flower stamens first, and then after that they said it cured spider bites. Mm It was a beautiful green July day. I was down in uh, Ames, Iowa last week working, and I, you know, I already missed June. June had just left, and I June is a reward we're given for putting up with January. It's just <laughs> we have January, and we think. You know, there's a perfect day in June waiting out there if I just don't whine too much and maybe just whimper in a corner some. And I'm walking around uh, Ryman Gardens in Ames, Iowa. And, folks, if you've never been to Ryman Gardens, you know, make it a day trip down there. For me, it's a couple hours. And there is a butterfly house there that is just breathtaking. I could spend... 
uh, easy eight hours just in this little butterfly house. It's just an incredible place. And I was looking at all these butterflies, and all of a sudden I wanted to see ants on the peonies again. Now, I know some people say peonies. I'm a peony guy. And I thought ants on the peonies would be a great band name. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there is one, but ants on the peonies would just be a wonderful. And they could play like, um, oh, 60s music or something like that. And I wanted to shuffle through the drifts of cottonwood seed once more. Uh, we had so much cottonwood seed this year, and a friend by the name of David George Haskell, who has written a wonderful book about the lives of trees, wrote about cottonwoods. He said, over its lifetime, a cottonwood tree, a single tree, will release over two billion seeds to the wind. On average, one of those seeds will make it into a tree. And there was no breeze at home, and it's a place that... Uh, its place, the breeze has been replaced by hungry mosquitoes. Uh, I picked raspberries. There was a good crop. There's a rule that says good raspberries, bad mosquitoes. That's, that's the rule. And I ate mulberries. Boy, I plucked them along with the raspberries. Great crop this year. We have mulberry trees that have tremors as robins are in there eating all these berries. And I'm amazed each year how quickly the world goes from shoots to fruits. And as I walked around, blue jays scolded as other birds moved about silently trying to make a living. Turkey vultures floated overhead as if they were fleeting dreams or disembodied souls. A ruby-throated hummingbird male moved slightly enough to catch the light just right and cause an iridescence to play upon its throat. And a flower open in the sun, perfect in its imperfection. I plucked a floret from the flower head of a red clover plant and tasted the sweetness of its nectar. I looked for four-leaf clovers. A fellow can never have too much good luck. And I'd seen research that said there is one four-leaf clover for every 5,000 three-leaf clovers. So I hope everyone finds a four-leaf clover today. That would be a that'd be a worthy project. Uh, Pat Sorensen of Albert Lee called me, and she was just excited about seeing an indigo bunting. And boy, I I high-fived her over the phone. I was excited on her behalf, and uh, they are such incredibly beautiful birds that they just bring joy like that. Susan Flowers, you mentioned uh, TuneIn, and I hear from a lot of folks, Gully, that listen to that fine, uh, um, I was going to call it station, but, but fine uh, Yeah, it's, app, an, it's an app, yeah. And I hear from people, and Susan lives uh, near Atlanta, Georgia, and she called or sent me an email with a photo asking for identification on a hawk, and it was a broad-winged hawk that she was seeing so that was pretty cool and she said she enjoys listening to kmsu she's never been to mankato but <laughs> maybe one day uh chad hines of mankato said on saturday i was joined by jim and ruth amundsen tim poulis and tom dolan for an exploration of the casota prairie in lasur county and parts of the swan lake Con uh-oh species there you are I'm here. Yeah, right. you, you had cut out for a second there. I don't know what was going on. Oh, boy, that's what I do. You know, <laughs> just, I, you just can't depend on me. I cut out. That's what I do. Uh, 
peregrine falcon. They saw one. It's a top that uh, soybean processing plant along Third Avenue is where, and that's where I've seen them also. Uh, they had scope view of uh, upland sandpiper, Hensel sparrow, lark sparrow, clay-colored sparrow, grasshopper sparrow, a brewer's blackbird, eastern bluebird, dick thistle. I will a dick thistle. I'm getting gas in Ames, Iowa. There's a dick thistle. I'm going into a restaurant in Ames, Iowa. There's a dick thistle. I'm in Mauston, Wisconsin, stopping to get gas again. There's a dick thistle. I don't know if it's the same one that's following me around, but they look like junior metal arcs, and they do that dick, dick. So they're just really pretty birds. Um, Chad and the group also saw a green heron, a great blue heron, Sora, redhead, ruddy duck, blue-winged teal, hooded merganser, lesser scop, foresters, and black terns. And they saw probably the best birds they saw, Chad said, were the two cattle egrets along County Road 12, north of the flooded portion but south of the closure sign. Also had a western fox snake, a plains garter snake, and an eastern garter snake. So it sounds like they had a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, Rita Granson, who lives down in Mason City, said the ponds are drying up. Wow, we could uh, probably send them a little moisture down there, pipe it down there somehow. But she said uh, the shorebirds are trickling in a few of each of eight common species, a dowager and a golden plover were in the ponds in Worth County. I got a um, great question from, uh, oh, I don't even know who it was from, golly, but it's a wonderful question. And uh, I used to wonder this when I was a young lad. I'd look up at the softball fields. I was forever playing softball or baseball. And when I wasn't playing, I was a, the uh, bat boy for uh, softball teams that would come to Heartland, Minnesota to play my brother's team. Okay, And I wasn't a faithful boy. I was a sellout. Uh, the Meriden guys would come, the Cath brothers, and a fellow by the name of Shide Krause said, how much are they paying you to be the bat boy over there at the Heartland team? And I said, oh, I, I don't get paid, sir. You know, it's an honor. He said, I'll give you a dollar to be our bat boy. So I became bat boy for the Cath brothers from Meriden, Minnesota. I still rooted for the Heartland squad, but I was uh, I was the bat boy for them. But I would look up at the lights on Heartland's fine softball field, and some nights it would be covered with moths, although we were tended to call them millers in those days. And they would fly around those lights and banging against the lights and I would wonder, as a little boy, why are they doing that? But I looked down the bench at all the softball players, and I didn't really see one that I thought maybe I should ask that question because they would say, just tend to the bat there, bat boy. You know, it's unclear exactly why they visit lights, but here is a theory. Uh, Moths use moonlight to find their way in the dark. Artificial lights might interfere with their internal navigational equipment, confusing the moths. Now, I've been driving at night and made a wrong turn. I think I have the same problem. Uh, artificial lights interferes with my internal navigational equipment sometimes. Now, a moth, this may cause them to fly in circles around an artificial light in an attempt to maintain its flight path. 
So that's uh, what I think is happening there, and I'm I'm going to stick with it, <laughs> right or wrong. Okay. Uh, somebody said, why are they called dabbling ducks? Al, you mentioned dabbling ducks on the radio when you were talking about mallards and some others. Why are they called dabbling ducks? Well, that's a great question, too. A dabbling duck is a shallow water duck that feeds primarily along the surface of the water or by tipping headfirst in the water. We also have seen uh, ducks tipping up, uh, mainly mallards, their head first down and rear end up. Mm-hmm. And they do that to graze on aquatic plants, vegetation, and insects. And some of them on occasion will eat a, a tiny fish as well. So the duck dabbles, that's what it's called. And they are infrequent divers. And the species of dabbling ducks include mallards, wood ducks, blue-winged teal, northern shovelers, and there's a number of others, but those are the primary ones we see. I was out on the Pelican Breeze. It's a, uh, we do natural cruises in Albert Lee Lake. Uh, I used to tell everybody it was 2,654 acres, but I think the last DNR measurement was 2,662 acres or something around that of... Um, water it's pretty shallow my father always said it was just a little too wet to plow and a little boy on there a little girl i'm sorry asked me she said how much does a pelican weigh and i was so happy because i knew the answer (laughs) is once in a while that works out that way when they ask you instead of uh, most of the questions where you say boy i i don't know or i've never been asked that question before (laughs) the american white pelican now, everybody picture one in your mind. Boy, they look huge, don't they? What a big bird, that big old bill. They have a nine-foot wingspan, so they just look gigantic. Wow, that's a heavy bird. They weigh 10 to maybe 20 pounds, so they're not that big. I have uh, hauled them up to the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center in uh, Roseville, Minnesota, injured ones, and there's not much to them. They're just, uh, they look really big, but uh, they're, I guess they're big bone, maybe is what they would say. Huh. How many, uh, uh, this was a neighbor asked me this, so I have, I have wonderful neighbors, and that whole thing about the petition they started to have me move out of the neighborhood, I guess that's been dropped. So I, I really appreciate it. Well, I just have great neighbors. And I had a neighbor park a pickup, an old pickup out in the middle of his lawn. Parked there. It was all winter. People would drive by and say, well, can he get that thing started? Looks like a nice pickup. What's he doing out there? Well, now he has made a planter out of it. And he's planting things around it and on top of it and in it. And it looks pretty good. It's an old rusty pickup, and it just looks uh, perfect out in his lawn. Anyway, another neighbor said, how many nests does a pheasant have each year? Because he hadn't seen many pheasant chicks, and he was worried. He said, well, can they just keep nesting? Uh, Studies, I want to say it was by Pheasants Forever. And if I'm wrong on that, I apologize. But pheasant hens will nest up to three times in Minnesota if their nests are unsuccessful or destroyed. But that's not three broods. If they lose the first nest, they will attempt a second. If they lose a second nest, they will try a third nesting. 
they only raise one brood per year. Now, I know some, uh, boy, the Cornell Lab, I think, said one or two broods, but maybe that's where uh, the weather, they have a little longer time to do that. Here it's one brood per year. They will lay an average of 11 to 13 eggs on that first attempt. So the first nesting, they get a big nest. If they lose that, then the number is reduced with each subsequent nesting. So by the third nest, the hen might be incubating only one or two eggs. So it's sometimes late in the year, in the summer, we'll see a hen with only one or two chicks. Now, it's possible, certainly, that something might have gotten them, predators might have got them, but it might have been that that's all she was incubating at that time. Uh, we have some pheasants in Minnesota that will nest in April, but the primary time is mid-May and then into the first probably 10 days of June. That would be their prime nesting period. And most nesting after that is likely re-nesting. The incubation period, I used to raise pheasants. It was it would vary some, but probably right around 23 days was the time that the, it took them from from the start of incubation till they had chicks out of the nest. So I, I love seeing them. I did a breeding bird survey uh, recently, and I saw no chicks whatsoever. I heard a lot of roosters crowing, so there's quite a few. I think my number of pheasant roosters crowing was probably up a little bit from last year. But it was a real hard uh, April and uh, into May for them to nest. It just uh, things didn't, uh, it was cold and then it was rainy and it's just a tough time for those to get those early nests in. I did see two sandhill cranes uh, flying at two different places on my breeding bird survey. One was in Steele County and one was in Mauer County, I believe, so it was nice to see them. They nest over in those areas and have for for quite a few years, so always good to see that. Uh, One person here asked two questions, so I told her it was two for the price of one, and we were running the special, and it was, why are ladybugs... Why are ladybugs so brightly colored? I think it's a warning to predators. It's like uh, monarch butterflies have that color, and it's just letting other uh, letting birds know that, hey, I'm toxic. You want to mess with me? All right, I'm taking you down with me. And it's kind of the same with the lady beetles. It's a warning to predators that there's toxicity involved here. If you want to take a chance, you know, go for it. But I'm just I'm giving you the warning. And the other one uh, she asked was, how can I tell if it's a great blue heron or a sandhill crane that is flying overhead? Well, great blue herons fly with a crooked neck, so it's folded into sort of an S shape, where a sandhill crane flies with its neck outstretched, so they get a long, long neck. Um, Speaking of those big birds, I saw a great blue heron rookery. And those nests, they are huge. They're large as four feet wide and three and a half feet deep. There was one by Geneva Lake, which isn't too far from where I live. And in the midst of all those great blue heron nests was a great horned owl nest right in the middle. And it was raised its young ones there. And I, I, you think, wow, what a place to be. 
why would the great blue herons put up with it? I guess they work different shifts for the most part. Mm. Now probably doesn't want to deal with those big bills, dagger-like bills of the herons. And the owls work at night, so the herons aren't bothering the baby owlets there. So it, it all works out. Hmm. They, just, uh, they just get along, which so, is nice. I, and I think if great blue herons and the great horned owls can get along, why can't we all? I think <laughs> they just set a perfect example for all of us. So, Al, I was up at uh, uh, up at Cross Lake, uh, part of the whitefish chain, this past weekend and uh, spotted a number of great blue herons. So... Um, yeah, that was, that was fun to see, but I didn't see any rookeries while I was there. My dad called them shite pokes, and if anybody has uh, any any uh, to do with German, knows uh, you know more than two words of German, you probably kind of get the idea of that. <laughs> um, a lot of people call them uh, oh, old cranky. Uh, they just have so many different words. Blue crane, they have more nicknames for great blue herons. I was out canoeing one day. I am, Folks, I am the world's worst canoeist. I am a humble birder, but when it comes to canoeing, I, I don't even make humble. I'm just really bad. I'm happy to do it all alone. Nobody wants to come with me because uh, some of them have done that before. And uh, I had a relative say, Al, I love you, but I am never going canoeing with you again. It's just too dangerous. I have ADD in a canoe. I just, uh, oh, there's a bird, and I just forget that I'm on the water, and I have a paddle and those sort of things. And next thing, I'm spinning around or tipping over. It's just not a pretty thing to go canoeing with me. So, But I'm happy to go by myself because I seem to get along, and I forgive my mistakes very promptly. I just uh, I don't even remember them within oh, two minutes or so or, or after I dry off and I forget them. But I was watching a great blue heron, and it was stalking something, and it turned out to be a baby muskrat, tiny, tiny little animal. And the heron got it, and it was flipping the little muskrat up in the air because they like to take fish head first because it goes down better. They don't stick in the throat. So it's flipping this little muskrat up in the air, trying to figure out which way is the fins are going on it. Mm-hmm. And it finally got it in the neck. And it's amazing how the neck just expands so greatly to allow for swallowing of things like big fish or, or baby muskrats. The, the great blue heron, I think he could look at me and see that I was just a really bad canoeist probably <laughs> and was no threat to it. And I got to watch all this. And, of course, I didn't have a camera because I can't take a camera in a canoe. When you tip a canoe over a lot, it's not a good idea to take any electronic devices in a canoe. But I sure enjoyed it and uh, have uh, a memory of it. I'm sure the baby muskrat probably didn't get the same enjoyment that I did. But it was was wonderful. It was the same day I'm out cleaning up a lake and I... uh, I discovered a Mountain Dew bottle, a green bottle, and I thought, well, I'll get that with a paddle. So I reached out with a paddle trying to pull it back so I could pull it into the canoe, and I dropped my paddle. Uh Uh-oh. Now, on the lake I was on, there's always a bit of a current. So away goes my paddle, being a dutiful paddle, trying to chase down the Mountain Dew bottle, forgetting about me back there in the canoe without a paddle. 
So then I'm paddling with my hands trying to catch up to the paddle who was trying to catch up to the Mountain Dew bottle. I was the only one on the lake that I knew of until this happened. Yeah. Suddenly there were jet skis, there were pontoons, and they were taking pictures and videos of me chasing a paddle, chasing a Mountain Dew. Wait, so they weren't Uh, weren't trying to to help you? Yeah, I I always say that you know if, if folks if you see me getting beat up on the street you know don't take a video help <laughs> yeah that would be nice kind of thing I just yeah just you know come over and grab my paddle or something but oh they were and some knew me of course so they said smile Al and all this stuff oh what a fine time we had but I I finally did run down that Mountain Dew bottle and I hit it with a paddle I was um, I was. As sadly, I, I had a bit of a temper on that Mountain Dew, and to all Mountain Dew bottles everywhere, I'd like to apologize right now. I just, it, I was wrong, and uh, I didn't, I don't blame that one for trying to uh, make a, an escape. So, um, again, every Mountain Dew bottle out there, I am sorry. Uh, <laughs> just a wrong thing. Did, were you up there fishing? Uh, no, I don't really do much fishing. Uh, we... We uh we did some golfing. We did some uh, tooling around the lake on a pontoon boat and uh, a little bit of tubing, which is I've I've achieved a certain age uh, where tubing is maybe not such a good idea for someone of, of my age, but still did it. And um, yeah, did that and uh, just enjoyed the um, the beautiful surroundings. It's it's uh, it's pretty nice up there. I like to fish, Gully, and I found the secret. I don't like to catch them. I don't like to clean them. <laughs> I, I don't mind eating them. I don't put anything on my hook. That's and, a good um, idea. Yeah, it really works out well. They'll just say, boy, <laughs> we all had such good luck catching them. You didn't catch anything? I said, no, but I could eat something. Yeah. And so they fixed me something because they, they think I'm such an inept fisherman that they feel it, it's their need to feed me and keep me going and keep me sustained that way. So, uh, folks, if you just like being out in the lake but you don't want to catch anything, that's the secret. Don't put anything on that hook. And, boy, you rarely catch anything once in a while sadly you do hook something and it's, <laughs> that's a bad day but other than that it's, it's just fun being out on the water we are so lucky to be minnesotans where we have such an opportunity to get out on uh, on water it, pretty much everywhere we go and uh, albert lee lake now is being uh, i'm sorry fountain lake is being dredged in albert lee so they're taking a bunch of stuff out of there freeborn lake they put a new dam in and they're lowering the water, only it kept raining so much the water levels kept going up instead of draining. It was like uh, there was a plug drain in the bathtub or something. So a lot of changes are going on in some of the waters around the area. So and it's all because, uh, I hope anyway, for clean water, because we certainly all want clean water. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our lakes in southern Minnesota Oh, we'd like, a friend was saying, oh, wouldn't it be great if uh, Overly Lake was like Mille Lacs Lake? Well, I suppose it would be, but that's not going to happen. It's a, a prairie pothole kind of lake, three and a half feet deep on average. But that's what we got. And, man, it's fun to take a pontoon out and just cruise around on it and talk smart and uh, uh, look at all the beauty of nature. And nature is so... I was at a, a good friend's uh, funeral uh, a little while ago, Earl Jacobson, 
And on the the day of the funeral, of course, we were going outside, and the, the guys from the Legion were going to fire off the rifles. It uh, poured rain, and, of course, we couldn't do that, which was sad. But the pastor, during the sermon, as it rained, he said, uh, you know, we should listen to the beauty of nature sometimes. And we all listened to the rain, and we didn't really need more rain and more water, but there was a beauty to it as it fell, and it was very appropriate for Jake's funeral. So it's water is so important to us. We uh, what, what percent, what are we, about 90% water? I, I haven't looked that up for a long time. Well, it's, it depends. I, th- I think I've got a lot more fat content, actually, yeah, I think I got a lot of that going on. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you have to take up fishing and not catching anything. There you I think go. That uh, keeps the guy a little bit thinner. <laughs> um, I hope, Gully, that you'll come to the cafe today because okay. they still ask about you and talk about you fondly there. So they have very pleasant memories. I think they have your photo on the wall there. Well, uh, there's a. It's hard to tell because I think there's an auction bill that's pasted in, <laughs> that's stuck in front of it now with tax. But I'm, I'm pretty sure you're still on there. Uh, the cafe where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always the Heimlich maneuver and gravies considered a beverage, and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders, where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. You know, folks, I try to maintain an attitude of gratitude. My mother said that I could never thank anyone too much. Mm. And it becomes a habit. As I left the hotel in Ames, Iowa, I thanked the room. Seriously. I walk (laughs) out and I said, thank you. And I'd almost shut the door when I decided to do an idiot check. You all know an idiot check. Sure. You've probably done that in one endeavor or another. In this case, I opened the door back, I walked back into the room, and I just look around like a big idiot, searching for something I might have forgotten in that room. You know, it's usually something small, like my suitcase or something in the middle <laughs> of the floor. But this time, all I found was a penny, and it was good luck. And getting out the door was nice. In the car, the GPS told me where to go, and I may not always have a plan, but I always have a path. Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. If uh, I just hope you all have the very best day ever. Man, thanks for listening. Thanks for having nothing better to do than to listen to me. And do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Kelly, I enjoyed your company very much. Me too. I, I hope you have the best day you ever had. All right, you too, Al. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Yep, bye-bye.